0: 2 Timothy chapter 1 again this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. While you're looking that up, I'll just remind you again of Cornerstone Magazine. And the sign up sheet has been moved into the room adjacent uh, to my left. Uh, If you would like to receive this magazine, it comes without subscription price, although we do depend on donations and gifts. Uh, If you would like to receive it, or if you'd like to just take a sample copy, this is the inaugural copy, the first copy of this magazine, the January-February edition, and take it and look it over. And if you'd like to get it on a regular basis, uh, please give us your name via the website, uh, uh, which is indicated inside the front cover. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we'll begin reading again at verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently, and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well." We noticed last night some of the general characteristics of this epistle of Second Timothy, Paul's last letter. Uh, His last words to the church, his last words to the world really, as he indicates at the end of this epistle that the time of his departure was at hand. And it really is is full of some practical and valuable instruction for us, for as he wrote to Timothy, he was in a sense writing to Timothy as a representative of what we call the post-apostolic era meaning the history of the church after the apostles had gone, the same era in which we live here today. So in a sense, as the Holy Spirit moved Paul to write this letter to Timothy, he was sort of looking over Timothy's shoulders and looking down through all of church history, writing to every generation, including our own as to the challenges and the responsibilities of believers who would live in, in as he would call it in chapter 3, perilous or, or difficult times. The chapter begins, or the, the book begins in chapter 1 here with uh, Paul's, uh, we could say his customary opening and greeting. And uh, if you've read a number of the epistles of the New Testament, you'll notice the greeting is similar to other greetings. Uh, but each of the greetings of all the epistles, they have, they have something unique about them. Uh, they're not all exactly the same, although they do have some similar characteristics. And there's an awful tendency sometimes in reading over them is to sort of pass over them quickly. Well, these are the introductions, and we all sort of know what that says. Uh, we, we treat it almost like boilerplate type of communication, you know. Well, we know what that says, and let's get into the real good stuff of the epistle. But what I have found, if you, if you sort of stop and think a little bit about the introductions, uh, they really are, are full of some tremendous material. In fact, if I'm, if I'm not careful, I could spend the whole message just on the introduction. I'm going to have to resist that temptation. We'll look at it just in a, in a brief way, but there really are some wonderful truths for us to think about uh, just in the introduction. And, and it seems to me that, that he has in these first two verses uh, three sort of major ideas and it sets the, the tone of the letter. We notice, first of all, in verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He identifies himself, he identifies his office as an apostle, and it immediately alerts us to the authority of the message, the authority of the message. Paul wrote as an apostle. Now an apostle, as I'm sure we understand, uh, was a unique role. Uh, Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, described the New Testament apostles along with New Testament prophets as being the foundation of the church, that the church was built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And they fulfilled a unique role in the first century as they were instruments, men chosen by God through whom He would continue to give divine revelation. We mentioned that last night, that the period of divine revelation ceased with the passing of the apostles. And so when Paul writes as an apostle, he is not promoting himself. But he's giving credence, he's giving credibility to what he is going to write. The, 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 the readers of the letters, in this case Timothy, or whether it was the churches of that era, they knew that as an apostle he spoke with a divinely appointed authority. In writing to the Galatians who were challenging his apostleship and challenging his authority, he reminded them that he was not an apostle of men. He was not appointed by man, but he was appointed by God. And so they follow in many ways the tradition of the Old Testament prophets, instruments through whom God gave divine revelation. So the point is that when we pick up 2 Timothy or any book of the Bible, even though there is a human author often attached to many of the books, and often we refer to the human author as saying this. Really, behind the many human authors of the Bible, there is one divine author. It's the Word of God. And so when Paul defended his apostleship, it wasn't self-defense. It wasn't Paul just defending himself against criticism. He was defending his office as an apostle, as an instrument, as a spokesman of God. He was really defending the Word of God when he defended his apostleship. And we can be so grateful as we sit here now, 2,000 years of church history, and we possess in our own language something that's readily available, the divine revelation, the Word of God. That really is a tremendous blessing. And we live in an era where we have such ready access not only to the Bible, but, but many things to help us understand the Bible. You can have on your phone today, on your smartphone today, a library that, that, that even less than a hundred years ago, only a, a scholar really at a higher, uh, uh, an institution, institution of higher learning would have had access to. And almost anybody today could have that, those kinds of resources to help us understand the Word of God. So he begins by establishing the authority uh, of the message. And then the second idea he brings in, he says, it is according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. And he will develop this further in the epistle, but he reminds us there that that, that the Christian life is lived with this sense of promise or anticipation, the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. The Christian lives in anticipation of something great yet to come. We don't just live in the here and now, but we have an eye fixed on the then and there. There is something wonderful coming for every Christian believer. We look in anticipation of the full realization of all that God has intended in saving us. He is going to introduce us into the magnificence of eternal life and what it's going to be like living in that that era, in those days that are yet to come. And so while we have our eye fixed on the responsibilities here and now, we are also looking into the future. It is the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Now this will play very significantly into the challenges that Paul is going to lay before Timothy because he is going to be facing all kinds of opposition, all kinds of discouragement, Uh, All kinds of temptation just to relent, to give in, to give up, to quit, to set this whole Christian thing aside. It's too hard. It's too tough. And so Paul is reminding Timothy, look, this isn't all there is. There's more to this than meets the eye. There is something much bigger coming. But our life and service here and now has a direct connection to our life and service in the eternity yet to come. We serve the Lord not just because it's comfortable or fun or easy to do here and now. We serve the Lord because we're part of a much bigger thing. Eternal life is yet to come, the promise of life. So we have the authority of the message. It comes the word of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. We have the anticipation, the promise of life that is to come. And then he he writes in verse 2, To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son. Uh, That that really expresses the affection among God's people. The affection among God's God's people. The, The Christian service. That, that Bible truth, it, it's not just all sort of uh, abstract thinking, it's not, it, it, it's not just theory, but, but it works it out in practical interpersonal relationships with one another. And as we'll see, we're dependent, soon we will see in this, in this chapter, we are all dependent on one another. We can't all live in isolation as a Christian. We can't just sit at home in isolation and hope to make progress in our Christian life. No, we are called into fellowship. And and, and Paul had this tremendous affection, my dearly beloved son, as we see also in these early verses, his great affection, mindful of thy tears, and and there was great affection among God's people. Make friends of God's children. So we have these these three ideas, this sense of authority. Uh, this sense of anticipation, uh, this sense of affection among uh, God's people, uh, the, 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 the purpose of God in revealing His truth through Paul, the promise of life that is to come, and the people of God, uh, my dearly beloved son. Now as he goes through this first chapter in, in building his case, if we might put it that way. to to challenge Timothy to rise to the occasion of being serious about the things of God, it it seems to me as we go through this chapter, he gives Timothy a number of reasons, a number of reasons. As he explores with Timothy, Timothy's own personal experience, And, and he shows him the meaning of that experience that he has had, the significance of it that behind these things he's experienced has been the hand of God. and That's why Timothy should take the challenge seriously, that God has been at work in his life. But as we see, it's not just God being at work in Timothy's life. We see how God has been at work in all of our lives too. That behind what we might say the scenes of our lives, the things that we can see and touch is the hand of God. And this proves the reality of all of this, all of this. This whole business of being a Christian, this whole business of serving the Lord, this whole thing of, of being willing to, uh, to sacrifice and, and to pay a price, to face opposition, to, to, to wind up as Paul did in a Roman prison cell and be, and be let out and die a martyr's death. It would be utter folly if it wasn't for the reality that exists behind what we know to be the truth, eternal truth. Eternal realities, living with eternity's values in view, as we often used to sing. Now we notice that uh, Paul begins here with uh, talking about or uh, reminding Timothy uh, and encouraging Timothy, and we, and we could describe it this way: encouragements uh, for the last days. Encouragements for the last days. And I think we could see, we'll see eight of them here as we go through the chapter. And the first one we notice uh, in verses three to five is the preparation of God in our lives. God's preparation in our lives. You'll notice how he reminds Timothy uh, of his own uh, spiritual uh, heritage. Uh, He says that, verse 4, he says, "...greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also." Now, why is he bringing this up? Is this just sort of a a sentimental reminiscing of, of the past? Uh, Or is there something more to it than that? Well, I suggest to you there is something more. He is reminding Timothy how God has been at work in his life, preparing him for the challenge of the present moment, and it went way back, right to the days when Timothy was a child. In some ways, we could say that Timothy is an example of someone who was raised in a Christian home. Uh, He'll later talk about that uh, later on in the epistle. Uh, He'll say, for example, in chapter 3, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. And many of us have the privilege of being raised in a Christian home. And that was the work of God in Timothy's life before Timothy knew anything about Christian things or could understand it. The very fact that he was brought into that home He evidently had a godly godly grandmother, and he had a godly mother. Uh, We don't have a reference here to Timothy's father. We don't know where Timothy's father was at this time or what influence he had on him. But but he certainly had a godly grandmother and a godly mother. Now that tells us that being a grandmother uh, means that you have opportunity to influence uh, the next and the following generation. You have a, a, an opportunity to influence your grandchildren. So this is a challenge to grandparents. Uh, grandparents uh, like often to spoil their grandchildren. And uh, I suppose maybe you do that. We have, a, we have five grandchildren and, and one of our, our daughter, we have four daughters, uh, they're all married, and uh, one of them has a three-year-old, and, and she gives us strict orders, do not spoil this child. No gifts and things like that, not because she's trying to be hard of the child. She just doesn't want the child overwhelmed with a lot of junk, you know? And I say, amen, that's a good idea, you know? So we won't, we won't bother spoiling her, you know, as much as we, as much as we love all of them. But, but our influence in our grandchildren should go beyond that. Not just buying them junk at Walmart, you know it's, uh, it should be it should go beyond that. Uh, and to have a godly influence on our grandchildren. And evidently in Timothy's life, uh, his grandmother Lois had that influence. And that's a responsibility that we have. Now, sometimes we find situations where it is difficult to influence our grandchildren. Sometimes there are situations where, Maybe children don't want their children to know things about the Lord, that they've kind of turned away, and that's a difficult thing to bear in life, to be sort of spiritually cut off from your grandchildren. What to do? Well, they can't cut us off because we have the avenue of prayer. Prayer changes things. You've heard that before. Prayer changes things. Do you believe that? God can do things that people cannot do. And one of the advantages, I mentioned some last night, one of the advantages of getting older is that we have the opportunity, well, we always have the opportunity, but it seems more clear as we get older, of the ministry of prayer and all that can be done through prayer. And so Paul tells Timothy, he said, I recall the unfeigned, the genuine faith that is in you. And Where did you get that from, Timothy? How were you influenced to embrace your faith, the genuineness of your faith? It was through your group, your, your, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded that in thee also, now, now spiritual life is not something we can pass down as a family trait, but nonetheless there are spiritual influences that have been brought to bear. Maybe there are young people that are gathered here today that have been raised in a Christian home and you've gone to Sunday school and you've gone to WANA, and you've gone to camp and you've memorized your verses and you've worked in your handbooks and you've made crafts of Popsicle sticks and macaroni, and do they still do that? Maybe not anymore. I think we've maybe moved on to apps for your phone or something like that. But uh, uh, nonetheless, you've you've been through that whole routine, haven't you? And and you know, as, sometimes as Christian young people get older and they get to be teenagers, they begin to get a bit restless and maybe not so sure about this business of. Of Christianity. And they become aware of, of, of their own contemporaries around the world, around school and the neighborhood and other social circles. And of course, social media opens up uh, uh, all kinds of things, most of them unhelpful to the Christian. And and we're exposed to this. We might begin to wonder about this business of being a Christian. Let me ask you or challenge you to think a little bit about this. That God had a purpose in placing you into a Christian home. You know, if you come to a place like this, Claremont Bible Chapel, and over, oh, I don't know how many years, three, four, five years, six years, ten years, if you came regularly to the meetings here at Claremont Bible Chapel, do you know that you would possess more knowledge of the Bible than most of the world's population? I'm talking about just coming to Sunday school and just coming to the meetings, doing no extracurricular activity, just the basics. You would possess more knowledge of the Bible than most of the world's population. There's a reason you were born into the family you were born into. That God was beginning to invest in you. He was beginning to train you. He was beginning to develop develop you. He was preparing you for the the service that he has intended for you. He's educating you from those early days as you you, you sat in your home and heard the the Bible stories and, 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 and the songs on the CD and all those kinds of things. God has been preparing you. Don't turn away from that. Don't squander that. Let that do its work in your life. God has His hand on you and wants to use you in your own generation And if the Lord doesn't come to prepare the generation that's going to follow you, God's preparation in our lives. Well, if Timothy is an example of someone raised in a Christian home, we we could say that that Paul is an example of someone raised in a non-Christian home. It was a religious home, but it wasn't Christian. And Paul was raised... We don't know really when Paul came to know the Lord, it's sort of speculated that maybe in his mid-thirties, something like that, early forties, we don't really know for sure, but, but, but he was an adult when he came to know the Lord. Wasn't raised in a Christian home. remember years ago reading a book by a man by the name of James Stalker. he was a preacher of the 19th century, he wrote a number of books on, on uh, the biographies of Bible characters, and one of them was uh, The Life of Paul, the Apostle of Jesus Christ. And he pointed out something in that book that I'd never forgotten, I'd never heard it before, but he he was describing Paul's life and and describing how God was preparing him even in his pre-conversion days. That that God was working in his life even before he came to know the Lord. The fact that Paul was raised in the city of Tarsus. The fact that he lived in in an intellectual center and was exposed to the, the learning of the day. The fact that he was a Jew and eventually became a Pharisee, uh, the studying of the law of Moses, and the studying of the traditions of the elders, and and the intricacies of how all of that worked in divine revelation, he would have been an expert in the Old Testament. He didn't know the Lord, wasn't even saved. And yet God was beginning to work in his life in those pre-conversion days, preparing him equipping him, developing his mind. And when he came to know the Lord, it, it, it was the Lord had a, had a vessel prepared. He says, there's a chosen vessel unto me. He had been preparing him all through those days. And so we find as Paul, the man that God chose, the, the, the personally chosen delegate of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he picked up a man who was fully equipped to be the man who would explain to the world in a way that it had never been explained before, in all of the fullness of, the, of detail, of the glorious gospel of the grace of God. That's what we have in the Epistle to the Romans. The unfolding of the great truth as he deals with all of the intricacies of the details and the questions and the challenges. What about the Mosaic Law? What about the Ten Commandments? What about God's previous revelation? Is this all to be set aside? Is this some new message? Is there going to be another message after that? And Paul is a masterpiece of writing weaves together the the, the beautiful harmony of God's revelation, how the gospel of God was always God's plan of salvation for all of humanity, and how he in an orderly and systematic way throughout human history developed this message, working through his chosen people Israel and bringing to the world the truth about the one living God and, and, and then bursting upon the scenes the wonderful message of the gospel of grace Jew and Gentile, all the world invited to find salvation in Jesus Christ. And it was given to a man like Paul to unfold that to the world. And God had been preparing him, God's uh, preparation uh, in his life. God prepares us for what He calls us to do. Now, that preparation, whether we've had the privilege of being raised in a Christian home, or whether we didn't come to know the Lord till, we are late, till later in life, it makes no difference. God has had his hand on us and been equipping us and training us and developing us for what he wants us to do. Now, sometimes that training can be a bit tough and a bit tedious. It's not always fun. In fact, we have a history of that right through the Bible, of how God placed his hand on men and women and prepared them and equipped them. We think of a man like Moses, probably one of the best examples we have in the Bible, how God prepared Moses. And Moses' life, he, it's often been observed, it falls into sort of three sections of 40 in the, the first 40 years in Egypt. Now, now sometimes preachers and Commentaries tell us that he had to unlearn everything in Egypt. Well, I don't know if that's totally true. That, that, that God was using, most preparing Moses in Egypt, learning the ways of Egypt, learning the politics of Egypt, learning how Egypt worked. He would have true high-level interaction with the powers of Egypt, and he needed to know how Egypt worked. To, to, to do what he did in leading God's people who were entangled in Egypt and bring them out of Egypt. He, he needed to know Egypt, and so God prepared him for 40 years in Egypt as he understood how Egypt worked. And then he spent 40 years in the wilderness as a shepherd. Imagine that, 40 years in the desert. You know, the desert is beautiful to look at on a short-term basis. But 40 years looking after sheep. I mean, here's a man who, who, who lived in, in the palace in Egypt. He lived at the center of power, of wealth, of prestige, of luxury. And now he's tramping through the wilderness with a staff in his hand looking after sheep. That'd be pretty tedious, wouldn't it? That'd be pretty difficult. That'd be pretty boring. You know, sometimes we go through periods of life where it seems tedious, or it seems difficult, it seems hard. But behind it all, God is developing. See, Moses was being developed because what Moses could not see that the, the purpose of his life's work to be uh, a prophet of God, there was never going to be a prophet like Moses. To be a prophet of God, to lead God's people, he learned in the wilderness looking after those sheep, lessons he needed to learn to lead God's people to the promised land. It's all preparation. And so God leads us through times of of difficult preparation. You think of a man like Joseph. All that transpired in Joseph's life uh, to, to, to fulfill, it was Joseph. I mean, when you think about it, God's promise was that through the seed of Abraham, the Messiah would come, the Savior of the world would come. Through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. But Abraham's family down through Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, it was pretty well near extinction. And everything rested on Joseph. If Joseph had not preserved that family alive, the promise of Messiah would have been cut off. And God brought Joseph through difficult times and equipped him to be the man of the hour that would deliver that little family and preserve that next stage of history through which the Savior would come. And he went through some tough, tough times. Paul reflecting on that, I think he's thinking about that in Romans chapter 8. For we know, he says, that all things are working together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. How do do we know that, Paul? He He says, we know it. How do we know that? We know it because God has done that repeatedly throughout history. And He's not about to drop the ball with you. Or with me? God's preparation in our lives. He's reminding Timothy, God has been preparing you. How is he preparing you? How has he been preparing me? Maybe you've been raised in a Christian home. Maybe you haven't. Makes no difference. God's still preparing you. Life might be going quite well for you right now, and you might be enjoying things. Learn what you can. Get what you can out of it. Equip yourself. Life might be difficult right now. Might be challenging, testing, trying. God's working there too. He's, he, he's, he's, he's rounding off those rough edges. He, 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 he's developing things in you that cannot be developed any other way. He writes, or the writer to the Hebrews uh, tells us that whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. You know, that word chastening, I, I used to think and I often used to hear uh, 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 preachers talk about like this a little bit. They said, you know, if we don't watch ourselves as Christians, if we're not obedient, we're going to know the chastening of the Lord, that, that that it was looked upon as sort of chastening as, as as what was given to those who didn't behave themselves. You know, the kids in school didn't behave themselves. I know, I was one of them, and so... Uh, you know, they got, they got in trouble, you know, but, but the ones who followed the rules, well, they get in trouble. Christian life isn't like that. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. The word chastening, it means to, to, to train a, a child. It's child discipline. That's what it is. It's learning. It's not punishment. It's learning. It's correcting. It's developing. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth. And that's a word of pain and difficulty. The Lord Jesus was scourged. It, 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 it sometimes is difficult. He scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Then the writer goes on a few verses later and says Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby." And it's the picture of the tree that yields its fruit that's been subject to the process of growth and development and care and and treatment. Any of you that work with plants or in agriculture know that, that you can't just sort of plant the seed and that's the end of it. You have to deal with, if you want the fruit, you have to prune, you have to feed, the process of growth, of breaking through the ground. The fruit eventually is yielded up, the peaceable fruit of righteousness, God's preparation in our lives. Well, that's point number one. There's seven more to go. You're going to have to listen faster in the next session. My wife's got the program, and I leaned over to her and says, what time was I supposed to finish? She says, 11 o'clock, and she leans back over and says, make it 5 to 11. remember Roy Hill, he was here last year, he told me one time, you know, he says, a message if it starts, a message can start out good, but you know it can go bad if the preacher goes overtime. He says, you know, a message can start out bad, but if the preacher finishes early, it turns good. <laughs> So I'm not going to have time to develop the next point, so you have the luxury of me finishing early, but we'll pick it up next session. Encouragement number one is God's preparation in our life. The next one we'll look at in verses 6 and 7 is the gift of God, the spiritual gift that God gives us, the gift of God. And we'll see how many more of them uh, we can get through uh, this weekend.